Hi, hello, how are you? Thanks for stopping by. Today we're going to talk to some real people about some real things, living real lives, doing real stuff. This is the Working Perspectives Podcast. I'm Matt Lavelle, accompanied by my editor and producer, Tom Byers. Today, we are about to experience the finale of the Alex Lavelle epic four-part series known as the Alex Lavelle Experience. If you haven't checked out parts one, two, or three, you can find them on all podcast platforms, YouTube, and Spotify at The Working Perspectives Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Working Perspectives Podcast and on the Twitter at Working Pod. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, don't be afraid to email us at workingperspectives@gmail.com, and maybe we'll get you through the PAAA, maybe get you approved, maybe not. It's all up to the PAAA, not up to us. Shake, my man. Are you ready or are you ready? Uh, I am ready. Let's do this. All right, man. Awesome. All right, let's get it started. Let's go. You you became a very transient person. We discussed on the previous episode how you spent time in Europe, um, and then you went to Hawaii. I was like, I'm not trans. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yes. You're... Ah, transient, traveling. Yes. <laughs> very yes. transsexual person. <laughs> um, so... And you ended up in Chicago. And uh, as someone who also left home, I moved to California three years ago. Home. Yes. Uh, I had a really hard time preparing to leave. Um, oh. Getting ready like the months before, I was having a really hard time like, well, this is the last time I'll see so-and-so or whatever. <laughs> and then once I got out to California, um, just whatever was going on took my attention and I really didn't miss home. I didn't have... Sure. And as a kid, I was like a really yeah. homesick kid. Yeah. I was the kind of kid that would like yeah. cry Leave at sleepovers, sleepovers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like for some reason out here, I loved it. And part of what um, I would think about like when I was getting ready to move to California is, is you when you moved to Chicago um, and how you just handled it. So, I mean, it, you seemed like you just handled it very easily. Um, Alex what, has like, always been like, well, what boys, the, what, what were the forces? Yeah. What were the forces involved there? Did you feel like you were being pushed away from Lansdale for various reasons, or did you just want to go check out Chicago because you weren't obsessed with staying in Lansdale? Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think for me, it was like it never really felt like I didn't. I didn't have a sense of that being like my landing Mm -hmm. you know like you know Lansdale Philly it it just wasn't for me it wasn't like the final destination you know I I Mm -hmm. wanted to go somewhere else and and kind of make my mark somewhere else I I don't know um but it just it didn't it's weird to say it didn't really feel like home you know I I mean it was my home I love my house I love where we grew up but uh it just didn't feel like it It wasn't until I left and came back and was like, Oh, you know, like this community, this, where this, this is where it all started for me. You know, like this is, Mm -hmm. this is, this is my home. home." (laughs) Um, But now, I mean, I can, I can confidently say like Chicago is, is my home. Like this is, this is my city. I love it. Mm -hmm. And, um, but like in preparing to leave, uh, no, it's just something I kind of felt like I 
had to do it felt like the right time and yeah you know i had already played around with it i'd gone i had gone to hawaii i had you know gone away to school and you know it was like it was just time but the yeah. hard part it wasn't easy but my friend group had already kind of started to dissolve a little bit we had everybody right. had was starting to kind of go their own separate ways and and branch out and people were less available and so you know we weren't living for the weekend anymore we weren't living just to party mm -hmm. and um and that's why it was kind of like an okay time to leave too right yeah, so, yeah. Question? it know. does it does you know we live in a growing up in Lansdale and living in like the greater Philadelphia area, a big theme for like, for some reason, all Northeast cities, a big theme is like pride in your city, pride in like the town you grew up in and defending yeah. it against the other yeah. Northeast cities uh -huh. as if, as if yeah, like just the Northeast of, it's everywhere. Yeah. And I, well, yeah. I just mean, cause where we grew up, that's what in I Milwaukee, saw. They're like that too. I'm like, what are you chicago's when i went there chicago i didn't know this but the chicago city flag is like the most popular city flag like there is it's right it's so good well people people and it's about like the four the is it four stars represent like the four forts that founded chicago or something like that but either way um islam <laughs> but either way the chicago's flag is like like they take a lot of chicago people take a lot of pride in chicago you know right oh, yeah. so and philadelphia is the same way you yeah. know what i mean people are very much you yeah. know a philadelphia so, thing and, and that's what i was trying to say is we have a lot of pride in 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 lansdale and and, the, and being from sort of from philadelphia and like everyone yeah. we know i think i'm like one of the few people who never has never lived in philadelphia and yeah listen i love philadelphia i i'm you know i'm i consider myself from there pretty much it it ain't the prettiest city there's a lot there's a lot to uh no there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of uh worse for wear on, on philadelphia it's the ugliest when, apparently right? and when you well i mean it has great parts did it of get course. voted the ugliest <laughs> it was voted at one point it was voted the ugliest the fattest the meanest and the dirtiest <laughs> Yeah, and the most deadly, and the most deadly. But wow. The, the thing is, um, yeah, you go to other cities, and they're so much newer. When you go out west, like, you know, the mm -hmm. East Coast is like being in Europe. It's like old, and and you know, everything's all <laughs> brick and old. And yeah. When you start moving out west, everything around here. I live in Southern California. Is like, you know, Spanish colonial yeah. and, and, and new looking. Um, but it's also so spacious. That's the other thing. And mm. one thing I, I heard, I had a buddy who lived in Chicago and he said, after the great Chicago fire, um, it ended up being a blessing in disguise because they were able to widen their streets and have uh, wider streets and to better lay out their public transportation. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, mean, I visited once. Um, but Alex is like, is there a, a strong con contrast between Philly and Chicago in that? in that regard and then just in general how how do they compare in your eyes yeah i mean i always tell people that philadelphia is a great city to be from it's it's a great place to start because if you can navigate around philly safely <laughs> then <laughs> then you're not 
I mean, we, so when I was like in high school, right? Like junior year in high school is when PD went to Drexel and Drexel is a pretty dangerous area, that campus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Jimmy and I, when we would be, uh, we would, you know, be like partying and it'd be the end of the night and we'd want like Chinese food or something. And we, <laughs> we would like run through the neighborhood, but the only places, the only blocks we were comfortable walking are blocks where there was a church. Cause we were like, well, there's a church on this block. It can't be that dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> that was like our rule. We would run and get yeah. Chinese food. There's like bulletproof glass, you know, and you gotta like, you get it. Then you go back to this crappy house and hopefully they let somebody's awake and they let you in. Yeah. Um, but so when we were in Europe and we were in Ireland and they'd be like, oh, be careful out there. There's people that'll, they'll rob you. You gotta be careful. And <laughs> they got churches everywhere. We'd be like, listen, man, like, we're fine. Like, don't worry about some uh some mick coming up to us and when when it comes to philadelphia in that regard i always thought so you know how frank sinatra in uh new york new york says if you can make it here you can make it anywhere right Mm -hmm. i always felt like if you're tough in philadelphia you're tough anywhere because philadelphia is a tough city right so like if you're tough and can handle yourself in philadelphia then you're tough and can handle yourself anywhere you know, so if you're tough here, you're tough anywhere kind of thing. Yeah, so that's what I always thought about. Yeah. Like if you can navigate around Philly and you can, then you can apply those skills that you learned to other cities in the world. You can order a cheese stick anywhere now. And Philly's interesting because it's, yeah. it's very block by block, right? Like you can yeah. be, in, you know, two blocks over and you're, you've gone from uh, a fancy expensive area into you know scary area and so chicago is kind of like that but it's much more spread out it's much bigger and so navigating is is easier in that regard i mean i never really you know knock on wood i don't worry about that shit as much but yeah um yeah yeah no i think being from philly is great i i wouldn't so for a lot of reasons, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily want to land there. It's expensive, and the public transportation mm-hmm. is terrible, and awful. The, like you know, driving is terrible. The roads are awful, are rough. Yeah, people are assholes too. Everyone here is an asshole, and I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, you know? I will say so. I agree with you there, Alex. So let's keep this going. On so in Chicago, right? Uh, we are supposed to be talking about your job history. So let's kind of do that a little bit, uh, real quick before we get into that, uh, we'll cut this out, but Alex, are you good to go over time and and hang out for a little bit longer? Okay, cool. Um, all right. So you're living in Chicago, right? And when you came here, right. Uh, initially you were like, you went from being an artistic assistant at Exile in Philly, and then you moved to Chicago working at the art gallery, working at the coffee place, acting in different shows. And then you graduated Co- Columbia College of Chicago. You stopped the coffee shop and now you're directing your own show. Can you talk a little bit about how like, you know, you're managing a coffee shop and directing at the same time. You're in, you're in yeah. two like uh, supervisor leadership roles. Can you talk to us like what kind of things you would use and what did you learn while doing those things? And did you transition 
any kind of things you would learn from GMing the coffee shop to directing the show and vice versa. So go ahead. Yeah. Um, I mean, like to just back it up, right? Like, uh, I mean, college was a grind, right? So I had all yeah. these jobs just so that I could afford to live in the city and and go to school. And so a typical day yeah. for me was like, wake up at five, uh, go to the coffee shop, work there until 10, go to class. I'd be in class from like 10 to five. And yeah. then I'd be in rehearsals from about six to 11 working on different oh, shows. And I worked man. in as many shows as I could because I wanted, you know, the experience. You need the experience, yeah. Between 11 and 12, try to get done some homework uh, <laughs> and then wake up and like do it again. And then on the weekends, I would try to do, I would usually do a double. I would work in the morning at the coffee shop. And then at night I would do, uh, I would either do a shift at the restaurant or I would be in rehearsal. And so it was a lot. It was, it was a grind. It was, it was really exhausting. I probably came close to like a couple of mental breakdowns, but, but, you know, yeah. learned a lot and was in leadership roles in, in college. And that was cool. Um, so then when I got out, I, you know, stopped working at the art gallery and the coffee shop and trying to trim it down and blah, blah, blah. So, so I'm managing this new spot. Um, and I was, directing my first play which i like crowdfunded it was a play about uh it was a play about a a cat who falls in love with his clone uh did you write it no Uh, this was by noah heidel Uh, (laughs) great one of my favorite playwrights um it it was called kitty 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 it was about a cat who falls in love with his clone and then the love is unrequited. They're like separated because it's like the ultimate incest, right? And uh, mm. and then he like clones himself again and again and again. And each time he clones himself, it's like they're a little more of like a bizarro version of him. And anyway, uh, it, was, it was a mm. really interesting piece produced on off nights at a gay bar in in uh in chicago um nice yeah pretty stellar production if i say do say so and it's also where i met my husband so uh not met, it's the first show very I cool directed him. i met him at school did you but, directed uh, it were you in it and was he in it no i just i directed it uh i directed produced stage managed like all of it but i i had worked at some bigger theaters but like the way to break into and have let people don't let you direct yeah unless you already have forced them to yeah so the way to the way to already have directed is to produce your own shows and so that's what i did um we like crowdfunded the money for it just for like the rights and then all the costumes all that stuff and then um so were the skills applicable? I was like, at this point, bad at both jobs, right? Because <laughs> it was like, everything was new. I had never like really managed before. I had at the pool company, but that was like driving around. Yeah. It wasn't like, I wasn't scheduling people. I wasn't, you know, dealing with that kind of crap. I wasn't checking right. people's like side work every day. And and also like waking up early in the morning to to 
manage this store and make sure everything was running and we didn't run out of supplies and all that stuff. Um, so what was applicable, I guess, was just kind of like putting on your your boss pants, so to speak, you know, uh, getting, I was really uncomfortable being disliked. And as a manager or as someone in charge, you have to learn to yeah. be comfortable with that because you're not always going to be able to, to, to please everybody or to give the popular decision yeah. in favor of what's right for whatever you're working on. Yeah. And so that was something I struggled with a lot in those early days, um, the show ended up getting produced and I ended up leaving that job right around yeah. the time that the show uh, premiered. Cause I was like, so let's talk about that. <laughs> so you left the coffee shop, right? And then did you yeah. get a job at UPS while after, after leaving the coffee shop? Yeah, I didn't really leave on the best terms like with the owners like we weren't getting along it was there was a lot going on and i was like it seems like they asked you to kind of run it for them you know and yeah, that's I like kind of, you know like yeah when i took it on it was my first management job and i was like hey i'm gonna need a lot of attention <laughs> i'm gonna need like a lot of your help because i've never done this before and like you're asking me to yeah. just kind of step on and do it and there wasn't really any training there's no book or, or anything so I was like, you know, and it was like a mom and pop kind of, it was a, like a, it, now they've got a couple of locations, but at the time it was like their first location and there wasn't really any yeah. procedures or processes. Um, and so I was like, yeah, like we need more attention. The business needs more attention. It wasn't just me. The business just needs more attention. And mm -hmm. that was where we would get into arguments because they just were pulled in a bunch of different directions and didn't have the energy and, and didn't have, and and so it ended up, you know, I just was like, you know what, this isn't working. I got to go. Um, yeah. Is kind of how that ended. And so uh, didn't have anything lined up. Not yeah. the first time that I was like, eh, screw this. <laughs> but yeah. I just relied on like, I'll land on my feet, you know, I'll find something. And so. Yeah. Having the courage like, to do that, though, is something that like, you know, you went to Chicago kind of the same way. You're like, all right, I'll get here and I'll make it work. So having the courage to to do that, like some people would kind of eat the shit at the coffee shop and not focus on directing the show or whatever they value that's more important. But you were like, no, fuck this. I'm doing what I think is more important. And, you know, this coffee shop, they're kind of using me. So I'm done being used and I'm going to move on and I'll make it work. And you made it work at UPS and you started directing the show. And then, yeah. as you said, you met Carson right mm -hmm. and you know and uh well, and started like on that though like just okay. what you're saying though too is i i could do that because i also had support you know i knew that i wasn't gonna die because i wasn't gonna end up on the streets because my mom my family my dad would never let that happen my mm -hmm. brothers you know yeah. if i really ran into like was in dire straits i knew i could fall back on my family it wasn't a plan that's not something I would want to do and probably not responsible for me to like, just be like, screw this, I'm out. But, you know, and I scrambled, I got a job right away, but like, that's a luxury, you know, having that safety net, yeah. not everybody has it. So for it's sure. not that I, in the back of my mind, knowing I wasn't going to starve leaving, you know, is definitely something that helped give me that courage, right? To like, to be like, all right, yeah. peace out. 
So, yeah. so it's not like, you know, it wasn't this supreme act of bravery or anything like that. It was just like, all right, I don't have to do, like put up with this shit. I'm not going to, I got to go. I'll find something else, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I did landed at UPS, which was another uh, hilarious. I worked like the front desk at UPS. It was like terrible pay, but it was just something. I, I, I'm a strong believer that having a job makes you more hireable. <laughs> so yeah. if you're not employed, yeah. get out some type of job that doesn't eat up all of your time. And then you'll have some money coming in and then you can look for a different, you can look for something else. All right, fans, time for a break in the action. We're bringing back our favorite segment. Uh, It's called 90 Seconds of 90 Day Fiance, where we talk about a show on TLC where immigrants try and trick ugly Americans to marry them to get green cards. Our good friend, Party Boy Pete McCormick, is here to tell about some of the awesome stories from that show. Party Boy Pete, what's the story? What's up, party people? This is Party Boy Pete McCormick with 90 Seconds of 90 Day Fiance, and today we will be talking about Elizabeth and Andre. Elizabeth is from Florida, and Andre is from Moldova. If you're wondering about Moldova, Moldova is where dreams go to die and where Florida ugly ducklings go to find their fiance. When they get back to America, Andre doesn't want to find a job. Elizabeth's family pays for him to become a trucker, which he abandons to become a handyman, which he abandons to become a stay-at-home dad. He keeps changing jobs. As I said, Elizabeth isn't the most attractive of the sisters. You can find out how attractive the other sisters are on their OnlyFans page. Yes, all of them have OnlyFans pages. Everyone in the family has also been arrested. And when they go to Moldova for the wedding, they're upset at the food. They think it's peasant food because it's not McDonald's. Instead, it's croissants and fresh fruit. Anyway, that's 90 Seconds of 90 Day Fiance. Back to you, Matt. All right. And that was 90 Seconds of 90 Day Fiance with a good friend, party boy Pete McCormick. Now, back to the show. Okay, so you're still directing your shows. You're working at the UPS at the counter. You meet, uh, who is your husband now, Carson, in the show. And you guys kind of hit it off and stuff like that. Um, But then, you know, you worked as the, then you moved on and worked as the assistant at an interior design producer for an interior design producer. And you you were there for like eight months, right? Yeah. Well, we're at UPS. I met somebody who owned his own like design company and they were looking for someone to help with their trade shows. So the title was like assistant yeah. trade show manager. Hmm. So what we would do is travel around to different cities and we would set up the trade show booth with all of this like beautiful interior design materials. So anything from sculptures to rugs to lampshades to, you know, weird felt birds, like just all this stuff, Um, just a ton of stuff. But we would like set up and make a beautiful showroom. So with my background from the gallery with working at UPS and packing and all that stuff, it was I was a good fit with my artistic. Yeah, what a, what a fit! <laughs> That's kind of it was bizarre. a good fit, but it was like You're, also like, I did yeah ideal candidate literally. Yeah, it, but it was also like you know also be be careful looking for, you know if something's like too good to be true, it, it might be it too is. good to be true. It was like yeah. uh, 
I, I, I took the job because I was going through a lot. I mean, I was ending a relationship that I had been in for years. I was starting a new relationship and I just wanted to get the hell out of Chicago and like the hell out of like Dodge essentially and all the shit that I was dealing with and just so much had happened. And I just wanted, and this job gave me the opportunity to travel. So I was going to different cities. We were going to Vegas, North Carolina, um, kind of kept it Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those convention centers are wild. I'd never been to them before. And I went to a, uh, like an uh, automotive marketing conference there once. Yeah. It was quite an experience. It's cool. No shit. It is sounding cool. I've been to like the gun show and, and things like that. Those are always kind of badass, you know, Mm. those are fun. Uh, so, okay. So you're working for this guy. Uh, you're there for like eight months. Then uh, is this after the eight months, you kind of were like, all right, I need to get the. No, the fuck I was out. there for like a month and I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> I was like, this, <laughs> oh, is, really? this is not a good fit because when we weren't doing traveling and doing the trade shows was exhausting and it was like back, back, back breaking, you know, work. Yeah. Yeah. Like 18 hour days, like just, like slugging it out you know when you once we set up the trade shows then we would work the trade shows and so that was Ugh. that was retail well wholesale yeah. then we're then we're yeah. doing like wholesale and so i'm like then i'm dressed up and i'm like you know selling thousands of dollars worth of products to people on the floor so it just never ended and yeah. uh it was exhausting and then by the time we get back they'd be like okay take a day off you've been working for two weeks straight take a day off and then come into the office. And then the next day we'd come in with this big warehouse. It's freezing and it's in K-Town in Chicago, which is like far Southwest in Chicago. It's not Southwest, but like, yes, South from where I am. I live on the North side and far West. And so it is like the equivalent of North Philly in that, in that regard. Yeah, uh, There's a lot of very, you know, a lot of vacant homes, this, you know, facility, this warehouse that we were at, you know, it was like needed to be locked up very tightly every night. And it had been robbed before of like, you know, the, they took the copper pipes and all that stuff out. And like, Jesus, yeah. So it was like, not, it was a seedy area. I remember I was like walking one time and I was like looking down at my phone and this guy walked by me. He was like, He's like, yo, like, keep your head up when you're like walking around. I was like, oh shit, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, uh, thank, you, thank you for that, sir. Head is up. Damn, <laughs> that was nice you. of him. That wouldn't have happened in Philadelphia, I tell you that. Well, I mean, it, you know, there's good Midwest hospitality. But, yeah, but you know, he was he like, keep your head up, white boy. Keep and it was like a, it was like a mile walk from the train to the, to the warehouse, and so. There was that, but like it also took me like an hour and a half to get out there using public transit. It was just a, it was, it was a nightmare. It was, yeah. yeah. So that sucked. Then being there, there was a whole bunch of reasons why it just wasn't great. If it became like a prison sentence, I felt like I felt like I couldn't quit because I had just Mm -hmm. left one job and then another job. And I was like, no, I got to stick this out. But I, I knew it wasn't working. And then, the light bulb went off like three months in probably where I was like, you know what? 
I don't have to do this. Like, I yeah. really don't have to do this. Like, I feel yeah. like I do, but I really don't. I have other options. And yeah. I called my, I called mom that day and I was yeah. like, you know what? Like, Hey, how about I come home for the summer? How about I just spend the summer at home? And like, like, how do you feel about this? You know what I mean? Like, I have no, like at that point I had, uh, my ex had the apartment, you know, Carson and I had been dating for a couple months, but it was like, you know, <laughs> right? would you but, bring Carson over? What? No, <laughs> I, I, had moved in, no. no I had moved in with a friend, <laughs> you know, my ex had the apartment. I had moved in with a friend and, yeah. you know, Carson and I were like really getting close, but it was like, I need to do, I, I can't do this. And yeah, so, you need some. You needed like some reflection time, some you time. So yeah, you kind I of did, like yeah. you. You just kind of left Chicago for the summer, came back home, came to your mm-hmm. roots, and then when you yeah. were here, did you realize like you know what I miss? I miss Carson and and you're no. Willing, I mean, the plan like, was I, always to come yeah. back. I knew I I, okay. I I bought a return ticket. You know when I came out, I I knew that. I always do that when I travel. You know. I book the return ticket so that I know, all right, like you gotta, you gotta come back. And Hmm. I knew I had to come back to Chicago. Um, And it was, I I had a great summer at home. It was really nice to be with everybody and, you know, be with some of my old friends. I hadn't seen like spent a lot of time with them in like six years at this point um, or five years. And uh, so I was like, yeah, this is great. And, um, when I came back to Chicago, unemployed (laughs) with like no money again, like for round two, it kind of really felt like I was starting over, didn't have an apartment, just had like some good friends and, you know, and I was, and I had a, a boyfriend at the time who I was like really in love with and, uh, who I'm now married to. And it was like, you know, um, just got to figure it out. And so I got another job at a different, I did some random shit, like, you know, like some kind of like a tasker almost kind of thing, like just some odd jobs, painting like a friend's apartment or doing this just to get a couple hundred bucks here. And, uh, I got another job at another coffee shop (laughs) and this time I, uh, and then I decided to start my own business as a, as a as a selling skincare all right network marketing called xander okay. it was <laughs> and so i was going around and essentially like doing those parties where like you give people because i wanted to be my own boss and i was like and it got sold to me i was like this will be the thing and honestly i learned so much from doing that right about mm-hmm. like relationships with people yeah but uh but it was uh you know it, i never made any money i didn't make any money yeah and it was i spent money i mean maybe i made my money back that i spent yeah. but um you know did that now were you uh, doing still doing theater stuff at this time or when you No, this was, was like back. i kind of started a slow divorce from theater uh Mm. i've been doing it i've been doing theater for free essentially in chicago i was assisting a lot on shows but you know didn't you do work at at second city at one point like you interned there or 
No, I didn't intern. It's a it, no. That's through my school that you can. But no, I had friends that worked at Second City, um, but I didn't. How'd they like it. They liked it. It's like, I mean, it's a cool company. Yeah. Um, it's got like a Dana legacy. Carvey would yeah. slap them. <laughs> no, I liked. Uh, I had people that I worked at other at like well-known theaters in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know you can only do so much work for free yeah <laughs> and what, where you have to you have to eat like if i if i didn't have to if i didn't have to pay my bills right, right. it would have been a very and if i was like willing to kind of sacrifice certain dreams of mm-hmm. for me i felt like home ownership things that i wanted to do i didn't want to be you know in my 30s and not be able to go out to eat ever you know yeah, what i mean like yeah. so there was things i wanted to do and it was like it couldn't just be a hobby for you like it's it's not the kind of yeah. thing it would nicely fit into like a hobby you know i mean it could for some people yeah. i guess but you have to be able to afford you, your life and you it's can't hard produce to, a whole yeah. production and, and yeah direct it it's and hard to yeah. Yeah. and i tried i did I, I i tried to to do that but juggling yeah. the different jobs and so mm-hmm. So I kind of like slowly had to leave that and it sucked because it was a passion of mine. It was something that I really was falling in love with was, yeah. you know, just being in that rehearsal room and, you know, but I've, I also learned a lot of things about that industry as well, where it, for me, yeah, you know, you make this show and maybe a couple hundred people see it at least at that time in those small theaters. I mean, then there's a show every once in a while, there's a show like Hamilton or like Les Mis or something that comes around and it really, wow, like has this big impact on the world and and culture. But more often than not, you're, you're working on a show that's, that's been made before and a couple hundred people will see it. And it's important. It is important. But as theater people, you know, we tell ourselves like, you know, the, the art, is so important and you and you but it's so self for me at least for me not for everybody but for me it was so self-serving i felt like i needed to make something of myself doing these things and creating this and being an artist and and it was so much about me and i don't know it just yeah it wasn't yeah and so i like i had i just had to walk away from it had to leave it and and that sucked it was that was shitty and I've even yeah. thought about like, you know, going back, I thought about going, getting my master's degree in directing. Right. And cause I went yeah. to school for directing and I wanted to, maybe if I get my master's degree, then maybe somebody will hire me. Yeah. Write a screenplay or something. You know, the reality is, you know, when I was in college, my competition was my professors. When I get out, they're working professionals oh. in the city too. Everybody's looking for a job. Yeah. And, oh. And I, I have professors Jesus. I'm still friends with. I have one that's a good friend of mine. And she's, she's, you know, great, has had a lot of what I would say a lot of success, right? Yeah. And still, it's a grind. You know, it's a struggle mm-hmm. where you're, you know, worried about what your next thing is going to be until you get to like a certain level you're always kind of worried about it and maybe yeah. your goals of having kids or having a family, you've got to kind of sacrifice that. And I want it more yeah, options. And that's gotta be so yeah. tough. It's gotta be so tough, like balancing that with, you know, 
we we had a we interviewed uh, Murph Meyer, who is a yep. uh, comedian actor who's been on a bunch of like things on TV, self-described yeah. D-list actor. Yeah. But he's but he's been in like Rebel Wilson movies and stuff. Um, great yeah. dude. But he was on the Chris Gethard show, and he was like their announcer yeah. guy. And I was yeah. talking to him about that because I'm very interested in how it is a business, but then you have to, at the snap of a finger, be incredibly creative and come up with things that are not necessarily like money oriented <laughs> like, like yeah for example you had to start a kickstarter to to pay for this production that you put together sure, yeah. it's pretty and normal then, in the theater world yeah, and, yeah and that's what like it's like a special talent to be able to do that and deal with money and budgets and all that shit and then at the snap of a finger be like Oh yeah, so it's a cat that clones himself, and he keeps hitting on the cats, and the cats don't want to talk to him, so he keeps cloning them, and they're like bizarre. It's a show about and, unrequited love. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. strikes at the heart and of all of it's us. It's interesting because we come, like you know, like you said, we we come from a mix of a white collar, blue collar neighborhood where people are like, put your fucking head down and work and make money mm-hmm. and buy a home and do all this stuff, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, well, I'm gonna do that. But I also have this other interest where I want to come up with something where a, where a cat fucking clones itself, and I'm going to somehow try to make money out. Of it. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. what killed me. By people that can do that kind of stuff. Agree. Well, honestly, Very that, that was agree. that was the killer for me. Actually, was I would work on these shows like for free, you know, mm-hmm. for free for months, um, as an assistant director or whatever I was on the production to get experience. And then I would go and we put these shows on. And like the last thing we would do before the curtain is we would ask for money. So we would create these shows oh. and we, we would create these shows. We would sell tickets. People would come Jesus. watch the show and then we'd ask for money. And the idea of my whole life having to ask people for money, mm-hmm. my yeah. whole life was like, I don't know if I can do this. I would yeah. rather. So for me, I'm like, you know what? I Where I'm at now, I'm like, screw it. I would rather make a ton of money and then be the guy giving money to the theater companies being like, yeah. hey, put this play on. Let's do this. Yeah. Hey, I got an yeah. idea. Let's do it. Because that's, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not all about like, oh, you know, it's all about money, right? I, I don't, I don't believe in that, but I do. I think I was in this uh, mindset. I I had all these weird thoughts around money. Money is evil to be an artist. Rich people suck. I used to say that all the time. Rich people suck. All this stuff. I'm totally have like 180 from that now. I'm like, no, like I do not want to be a person that is like constantly having to ask for favors from other people. And that, that was something that it just, didn't sit well with me i was doing all this work you know and then in the end i'm always feeling like i'm having to ask for a favor ask for help and there are actors on broadway right who at the end of their shows are asking for donations to give to you know different uh, you nonprofits that are set up to help actors that are struggling and all this it's like you know that is that industry uh and it's it's tough um yeah and so it's really like you always have your hand out it seems you know well, like, it is it's it's a hard thing in the not especially in the nonprofit, you know theater 
theater world, yeah. right? And um and hats off to people that that stick with it and that do it. And mm. you know, mm. I, I still a part of me does miss it and does like regret and wish that maybe I could have had a different trajectory that would keep me in it sometimes. But then a part mm. of me is like, oh God, I'm I mean, especially right now with COVID, I'm like, oh, yeah. I dodged a bullet there. Like oh, live Jesus. performances, like I well, don't know. I don't want to produce a, a Zoom yeah. play right now, you know? Yeah. Although so it might be let's really get, cool. Probably could. Let's let's do that though. Let's get into some of this. So uh after you were so you uh you did the Airbond, then you were selling like the Airbond stuff to Arbon, yeah. The yeah, Arbon to this realtor guy, and he offered you a job as an executive assistant, right? Uh-huh. And then yeah. You left uh, the the other the coffee place, the next coffee shop. Then you worked mm-hmm. as a realtor for like a year, but then uh, you got a job or executive assistant for like a year. Then you got a job at an Ethiopian restaurant as a as a GM, right? Yeah. So yeah, how? Very, so, I have a very impressive resume of jumping around to yeah. a lot of different jobs mm. yeah people don't know when they talk to you how full of shit you actually are but you really you know you can sell yourself well but i'm not gonna lie we were, went to this when uh we went to your wedding we went to the we met the owner of the ethiopian restaurant and went oh. there and she was just the best man she yeah. was awesome yeah. you know so like yeah, working for someone like that. And also, that's a very unique cultural kind of restaurant yeah. to work for. Like, I've never yeah. even been or seen an Ethiopian restaurant. So having you, like, the experience of working in that culture and, like, being around that, and that must have been, like, very cool and very fun. And I feel like when when I see, like, those kind of things, like the the Ethiopian restaurant, right? Like, is there is there a big Ethiopian population in Chicago? Yeah. okay so then like so you're getting a lot of people that are like oh i want to try ethiopian food but then you're also getting people like oh i miss home so much like this place reminds me of home and i love it and you know like they have their whole culture going with them so you're kind of like almost an ambassador of the ethiopian culture in a way right like you they brought you into their culture and then you were able to like share their culture with other people while you're working at part of that must have been pretty cool yeah that was part of what i would say to the staff right is like we're all representing that while we're here specifically the majority of my serving staff was from either ethiopia or eritrea right so they this was their culture you know and so what was the second place eritrea okay and is that next to ethiopia eritrea yeah it is like the portugal of ah yeah, man. Okay. It's like the neighboring. So shut your fucking mouth! Like you fucking <laughs> you know, knew where Eritrea it is. Like was. what Pakistan is to India. From Neverending Story. What Canada is to the U.S. Get a globe. You know, yeah. it's their yeah. their neighboring countries. Okay. They were once so, the same country, and right. Okay, so go but, go ahead. You're saying the the staff that they're all representatives of Ethiopia, kind of. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, that was part of what we talked about. You know, people come there to have an experience and they're experiencing the food as well as the culture. And, you know, so it's it's on us to share that with them. So I became pretty well-versed in it. <laughs> but like, to you know, so I worked this a year. I, I got 
I did these jobs where I was hopping around paycheck to paycheck, coffee shops, doing whatever I could, doing the grind, tried to start my own business on like a shoestring budget with like, you know, a, a dream, a hope and a prayer. And, uh, you know, that was asking for money too. I was asking people to buy expensive skincare products that they don't need yeah. over and over again. And that, and yeah. I, I hate to say it, I'm sorry for anybody who's selling skincare. Yes, we all need skincare. Well, do we need it? I don't know, but we all could use it in some ways. Not the buyer's men. But, but you know, they're, yeah. <laughs> no, not the buyer's men. They do. They need lotion, <laughs> lotioning and oil. Um, <laughs> so they, uh, <laughs> they, so, you know, that was another thing where I was like, God damn it, here I am asking for money yeah. again and I've, i'm asking yeah. for favors again that's all that is hey can yeah. i have a party at your house and it'll be really fun i promise and i'll bring a present yeah um and i was good at it because people you know i you know i know how to be nice you know how to sh- bullshit she's a wooer yeah yeah and He's a uh, fucking schmoozer this kid but was it was it helping people no right and so and then i got into real estate real estate is a really cool industry you actually if you're good at what your job, you actually are helping people. And that's really cool. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. But, um, yeah. but the problem that I was in there was like, it was such a far cry from anything artistic, anything that I had been doing, anything that like Matt, it was so much about numbers yeah. in that, yeah. at that point. And so much about, you know, and again, about who you know and, and yeah. making yeah. connections. But so are you so saying yeah. that the Ethiopian restaurant gave you like finally gave you something that wasn't just super either super artistic or super money oriented? And yeah, you yeah. actually had to experience humans and yeah, it was very cool. I mean, it was like going to so for three years I was there and it was like every day you're providing like, a service yeah yeah you know i was i grew up in the service industry so that yeah. was like yep. natural to me what's the I big felt. um sorry for interrupting you what's the big yeah. ethiopian dish and forgive me for my ignorance i uh I'm, i consider myself an amateur cook and i remember one time i got a recipe for an ethiopian dish that involved tomatoes and had an egg on top of it is this ringing a bell ethiopian dish tomatoes with an egg on top oh was it durawat durawat well it, you wouldn't it's yeah. a hard boiled egg yeah, yeah. you I eat it a lot with, you eat it. a lot with you, well, if you just, if you just crap if you just cracked an egg on top of listen, it is that what they said to do listen listen you listen to me damn it this was on a hello fresh and it said, "We know, we know your, we know your honking ass don't know how to make this." <laughs> it said that. It said it. I was so offended. It really uh, did say that. That's amazing. I'll tell you what. Th- these these services now they have know. all the data. They know exactly. I, mean, I don't. My I, I don't is. know. I mean, like, you, normally the eggs are hard boiled, and you like the traditional yeah. dish. The most famous Ethiopian dish is probably durawat, and it's it has yeah, yeah. hard boiled eggs in it and tomato. But I don't know what that one was. It could have just been Ethiopian inspired. The neighborhood that you um, were in, was it uh, like, I know you said that there were Ethiopian community there, but, but did that yeah, still there? That's my hometown. Yeah. I was going to say, did this dig into like the foodie, the foodie contingent as well? Did you have a lot of like hipsters and stuff rolling in? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we're it was the best Ethiopian restaurant in Chicago, still is, and so we would get people. Yeah, uh, you know, the majority of our clientele was not Ethiopian, and I took that as a good sign, because, you know, when, <laughs> in any restaurant where it's like an ethnic restaurant and it's traditional, they do things differently than in the U.S. And so, to fit with U.S. culture, right? Like we have certain standards around service. We have certain, mm -hmm. you know, uh, health and safety regulations that yeah. you have to follow. Yeah. That you might not have to yeah. follow in another country. And so yeah. getting people with the program of like, hey, you know, this is what we need to do. That was part of my job, like making sure that when people walk in, they get the same experience each time or the same quality, we could say each time. And, and we have a standard of you need to get to the table within a minute, you know, like that kind mm -hmm. of thing that are common across mm -hmm. the service industry, but not common in inside of the culture. Um, so I took that as a good sign. But also we wanted to make sure that if someone from Ethiopia did come, that they felt like it was a good representation, the food needs to be good. You know, we need to hit the marks in terms of Ethiopian service, which are different. Mm -hmm. There was a lot that went into it. <laughs> Sorry, I could I could talk about it all day. But the coolest thing for me was, you know, I was the only American, native-born American employee. I was the only native English speaker. I was the only white person for <laughs> the majority of my time there. Um, and this was with you know 30, 30 people on i love see that's awesome yeah. that's a cool experience. that's great yeah that's yeah. fantastic that's the kind of stuff that i love when you're so like it was cool you know i felt like i was in a different country every day i was listening to like foreign music every day yeah. i was eating yeah. foreign food every day and i was learning something new you know and and i actually it's so funny because i met a friend for lunch today we had ethiopian and like i'm like shit i forget some of the language but i picked it up pretty quick I mean, it's like you you, when you mm -hmm. really learn about a culture, when you really learn about something, it just expands kind of your understanding hmm. of the world yeah. a little bit more. And so I started to see Africa, people from Africa, whole different. I, I now, yeah. before walking into to, to that restaurant, before that experience, I couldn't tell you if someone's from, I can maybe tell you someone from Africa versus, you know, someone from the US, but I couldn't tell you what part of Africa they're from. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I could now, uh, yeah, yeah, I could tell you, at least I could give you like a general idea. I could tell you who's yeah. from Ethiopia and who's not, <laughs> um, you know, because we don't, and I was talking about this today, we're not trained to look at the subtleties of different cultures. Whereas we can look at European culture, right. And say, Oh, this person looks Irish. They're definitely Irish. Oh no, they're Italian. Yeah. No, that that they're probably Polish. Yeah. You know what I mean? We can yeah. pick out those subtleties, but yeah. can you do that for Central and South America? Asian thing. Yeah. Like, can yeah. you can you do that for other other cultures? We're not really taught how to do that. And so yeah. for me, I a whole different world opened up of oh shit. Like right in front of my eyes, there's been this whole subculture, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, walking. I cannot walk down the street in my neighborhood without seeing somebody who's ethiopian yeah i would have never known that before you know yeah and that's I'm now, not without now, the, now. The, the, the double edge is like now i walk around and i'm like if i'm outside of chicago especially i'm like look at 
I would be like looking for an Ethiopian person. I'm like, where are they? Maybe I can, maybe I can talk to them. You know, I became like a nerd, like a, a junkie for, for the, uh, so, the interaction, you know? So I'm glad. So that's awesome that you had that experience there. And like from everything I've heard about the Ethiopian culture that there, a lot of them are just, they're phenomenal people. All right, fans, time for a break in the action to enjoy one of our best segments. This is The Date You Hate with our good friend, Joshua Bach. Hey, Joshua, what's the date and what do you hate? The date is March 21st, 1346. I got out of bed today and I saw my mother was dead. Uh, her face looks like a freaking pineapple. Uh, come to find out that there's this thing going around called the bubonic plague. Get this. So... I walk outside today to hear the latest news and a horse steps on my damn foot. Now my foot's swelling up. It looks like my mother's face. And that's the date and that's what I hate. All right, that was the date you hate with our good friend Joshua Bach. Now back to the show. So, but let's keep it going. So you're three years at Ethiopian restaurant, right? You're a GM, then you said, screw it, I'm joining the army. <laughs> and so you join you join the army, the United States Army, not Reserves. any other army. United the Army Reserves. Yeah. yeah. Ar- you you joined the United States Army Reserves. And while during army training, COVID hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Why? What made you want to join the army? Uh, what kind of yeah. things were you learning there? How did you fit in in the army? And then talk about COVID in the army. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll say like the working in the restaurant, that was like the most eye opening job I ever had. I was there the longest. I managed 30 people. There was a lot of differences I needed to navigate and I needed to really, the biggest thing I learned that really like reinforced what I learned that I had gotten from my first stint in management, but I guess I didn't, I couldn't put words to it was if you say you care about people that work for you, then you actually have to care about them. You actually have to invest. You mm-hmm. cannot treat people like numbers on a spreadsheet. You can't treat people like they're your problem that needs to be solved. Yeah, you need to treat them like it doesn't mean you can't hold them accountable. You know, it doesn't mean you can't have tough conversations. I had to have a bunch of those. It sucked. But yeah, you know, but you also you need to care, you need to invest. And so that was, for me, I I got really invested. I'm still, you know, every, uh, every month, at least I touch base with probably there's a lot going on in Ethiopia right now. There's a civil war happening. Um, It's crazy. And it's it's really affecting the, the folks that I work that were my employees and and the owner of the restaurant. It's really sad. Um, but so I'm touching in with them still, you know, every other week, like just to be like, Hey, how are you? Have you talked to your family? Like what's going on? So you do, you have to care. And that was the biggest thing. I learned so much about myself from that job. Cause I failed at so many different things. I made so many mistakes. Sure. That was the best thing. But then, so I knew I, I needed a change because, you know, there was also nowhere to go. I was the GM of the restaurant. Yeah. I wasn't going to become the owner of the restaurant anytime soon. I didn't want to own the restaurant. I didn't want to own a restaurant of my own. So I, I knew it was like, all right, I've learned what I can from this. And I got to, I, I want to do my own thing. I got to, I got to go. Um, 
but I wanted an experience that was going to push me. I felt like there was something that I just hadn't done yet. And so the military came in as an option to like grow and learn and, um, and push myself again out of my comfort zone. And I want it to, you know, the, it's been such a, a heightened political state in the country. And yeah. one thing I, you know, thought about was I, I wanted to see more people like me in the military, more people with my experiences, my understanding of the world in government and everything. And I was like, well, the way to do it is to, is to do it. So that kind of pushed me to, to do it. I was very intentional about the job I wanted to do. I, you know, and I was lucky that the military really, the army really worked with me. I got a great recruiter and I got to kind of pick what I was going to do. I got a lot of time, a lot of lead yeah. time. I got married yeah. in between, you know, getting, signing my contract and going to training. Yeah. So yeah. then I'm at training um, and COVID hits. I mean, training, Oof. training is tough, but then COVID yeah. hits and uh, you know, honestly, I couldn't have, I, the hardest part was worrying about, you know, people on the outside because on mm -hmm. the, we we're getting our news from people that hate us, the drill sergeants. <laughs> so like, we're getting like, were you, you allowed know, to have phones and stuff? It's, no, no, you didn't have phones. You got one oh. phone call a month um, for, you know, five minutes and then 10 minutes. And then when COVID hit, they gave us like an hour to, to call. And, um, and then, you know, graduation was coming and they canceled, they had to cancel graduation, but we were yeah. pretty much already yeah. quarantined, you yeah. know? So, yeah. you know, but I was, you know, I'm in my thirties. Right. And there was like, there's kids there that were 18 and, they had been dreaming of this graduate. They didn't go to college. They went to the, the military. Yeah. So this graduation yeah. was important for them. And, and maybe yeah. they didn't even go to their high school graduation. And so, uh, you know, that so that they could go to man. the military, you know, like it was, so this was a big moment for them. And, and the drill sergeants were actually very cool about that. And I, it was a really humbling experience that, you know, getting through training and there's a ceremony that they do after, at the end of basic where, you get your like soldier patch, right. And, and you're officially done all your requirements for training. And, you know, the drill sergeant comes up and like puts the patch on your arm. It's a bullshit patch. It, it's stupid. It, they make fun of it, but, um, but it's a symbol so, that you went through training and, yeah. and they're talking about all of the, and I never, you know, I, we grew up in a military family, but I never connected with that as like part of who I am, especially being gay. I was like, that, ah, that's not me. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, don't ask, don't tell, fuck them. Like, I'm never going to do that. And, um, but then I'm, I'm there during this training, you know, we're, we just got done this big exercise and they're playing this like dramatic music and they're just, they're hanging tassels on, on the flag. And each of them represents a conflict that the United States army had been in and they're naming conflicts and they're naming conflicts that my dad was in and they're naming conflicts yeah. that my grandfather was in. And, mm. and yeah. I realized holy shit, you know, I'm part of this now. And it yeah. really hit me. And I, I did not expect to get emotional, but in that moment, that was like a pretty emotional moment for me. I it really like connected where I be. felt, yeah. Like I felt like I was part of something. You are. Yeah. 
You're part of you're part of the greatest army in you know the history of the world. You're part of you know you're part of serving for the country and providing the service that provides freedom for everybody. That's not to be neglected or laughed at, and it is a great thing, and it's something that you should be proud of, and that we were proud of you that you did it, you know, and kept it going. Because I didn't go to the military, neither did our older brother asshole or our sister Natalie. So like you were, would have been the only one that did go into the service where my our dad pretty much everyone in their family went into the service and then our uncle on our mom's side went to the service so like you know we do have a lot of history with the service and it's really good that you went in there and you were able to accomplish that and get through that you know and you should be very proud of that and we we're very proud that you did that you know and i'm happy that you got some emotional fulfillment and everything out of it because you should and now on to the next thing this is where matt matt like recaps it and he's like that's really really great and we've got to get on to the next thing right now <laughs> you talked too long <laughs> you didn't talk, hey do you want to talk more about it yes you actually can. what i'd like to say no um yeah i mean for me it was it's it's less about being part of like the greatest army in the world which yes and it was more of a, like a family legacy thing that's that's what i felt connected to in a different way that like was emotional for me what has the army because i'm not i'm not up to date on this what has the army done with don't ask don't tell they they did away with it in the obama years yeah. Yeah, the army is very clear about a lot of things. It's very clear about sexual harassment to avoid lawsuits and to avoid yeah. to avoid like, you know, and to improve, but they they focus so much on the culture. Um yeah. and there's still, you know, bad habits. There's still things, you know, the army wasn't always that way, so it had to change and adapt and yeah. it's hard to change such a big a big thing, you know, but uh but they they certainly do I mean, I, I was really impressed with that part of the training. I did not have any negative experiences. I will say, you know, you still have 18-year-old, 19-year-old guys that and girls that are are talking, you know, locker room talk or talking like mm -hmm. they're saying shit. You know, <laughs> I, there's this one kid that I've almost gotten to a fight with in like the first or second week. He was like this tough kid. Who was like he'd be like yo that slaps that slaps that was like that's the thing that they're saying oh that smacks that smacks so hard that slaps that's what when something's really cool it slaps it's I'm not saying it right I was like the old guy that would be like hey guys that that there that slaps yeah, that's <laughs> and, uh, slapping that, going that, on right there buddy yeah. shall I say it? Really slapping, pal. that that's, yeah. that that really smacks hard doesn't it? Sir, um, no, but this kid, we would like, we did not hit it off, right? But then, I, I, he was hilarious. I actually started to like, we became good friends, and he would say shit like, this one guy. I mean, I shouldn't say this, but anyway, there was this one guy who nobody really liked, and he was kind of a rank higher than than us, but he was still in training, and he was like, the drill sergeant called him over for something, and he was like running by. And this kid goes like, <laughs> he's like, damn, man. He's running like he's got a dick in his ass. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and I, I looked at him, I go, what's wrong with that? And he like started laughing. And it's like, he's like, oh, shit, man, I'm sorry. And I was like, I don't give it. Like, he was like, <laughs> was like, yeah, that was like is that how it looks? Yeah. You know, is that <laughs> how it looks? I was like, you yeah, know, that's great. Dude, that Jeez, is, but that's you know. people bring, 
Yeah, but that's like kind of like you guys going through the struggle together and it uniting you in a common, you know, like you just learn like, you know, as we guys like. Well, like I felt like I one thing that I had like a part of my self or a part of my identity that I felt like I kind of lost in coming out, which was like being one of the boys, you know, and so mm. and and that was something I felt like I got back from the military. I got back right. from training because we. Yeah when you're in that situation, you don't care what somebody's politics are, you know, no. you care about who's going to have your back, who's going to, yeah. who's going to, are they carrying their own weight? Are they, you know I mean? Like, do they have a good attitude? Like what are they helping the team? Or are they hurting it? You yeah. know, do you care more about that shit? Then, I mean, I walked out with a lot of friends with different political views than me and it didn't matter as much. I was like, yeah. you know what? Like, it's a all fine, part of the same thing. yeah whereas before that it was like you know it's like in chicago you to, you felt like you felt like you had to like kind of stand up for your team well, we've got a mentality like, right now that's saying you know i just I, I it's so funny you know i was just talking to a friend she is in the ethiopian community they're in this civil war right now and she is normally very vocal about things but she's been feeling like she doesn't want to be vocal she was getting a lot of shit from both sides and I was like, you know, I get it because you're you're playing into it. You're playing into that game, that divisiveness, and you're not even seeing people as people anymore. You're seeing them as their opinion on this mm. topic. And it's it's really yeah. you, there's so much more to it. I, there might be someone we agree politically. Do I want to go into war with them? Hell no. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? Because they're a piece of shit when it comes to other stuff. <laughs> they don't fucking know how to make their bet, you know? But like, <laughs> but you know, so it doesn't, so you, you start to realize like, you know, what, what makes us a community or what makes us, and it's, it's not so much, it's not always our opinions. It's who can you count on? And, and so that was something I got from the military that was, that was big. You know, you're, you're part of something bigger. You need to put your shit aside. There's something more important that you need to be focusing on because people will die, you know, if you don't. And yeah. so, yeah. or you'll die. Like, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. So that it, it's a, it's a change in perspective. Um, yeah. Learned a, a ton there. But, you really, still need, but it's good that you still needed the camaraderie though. Like that's a big part of it. Like when we had uh, gunnery staff Sergeant Hill on here, he was saying it's major, especially when you're overseas, like the camaraderie, like you have to be able to fuck around with the guys in your unit and the guys in your platoon and, and like fucking make jokes and crack and say inappropriate stuff and not be hamstring front. Cause you're joking with your buddies, you know, like that camaraderie is still, it's very much a necessary thing in the military. Right. You know, and like, it doesn't matter if, you know, like they can say something stupid, you know, they don't mean it. They're just joking around. Right. And it doesn't change the fact that you guys want to be like, you, you know, like you're like going to depend on this guy to save your life maybe one day, you know, like that camaraderie has a big part of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it get camaraderie for sure. But like, um, yeah, you're all like brothers in arms, like all that stuff. But it's also like. It's just mutual respect, I think, is is the mm -hmm. thing you have to be able to have some respect for the people that you're working with and respect that you, you are, cause there's other, there's other shit, right? Like there's other shit that they talk to you about. Like you could be 
not everybody's going to be a good person. It doesn't matter if you're wearing the same uniform or not. And you might be out there with somebody who you do not want to, to, to be in a situation with for your own safety. They might pull some shit. Like there's been crazy, there's crazy shit that happens. Right. And so, um, I don't know, but you need to be able to, to trust people. You need to be able to be yourself. Um, and I think for me, you know, part of like being like being one of the boys or whatever, I felt for a long time after coming out that like I had lost a part of being being a man in yeah. that sense, you know, and being yeah. in that club. And I kind of yeah. lost my admission into that club. And I, and for a while I was like, well, screw it. I don't I don't need that. I don't and and what it gave me was, you know what, I don't have to prove it anything to anybody you know what i mean like i've already i've i've done my shit i've still have stuff to prove like don't get me wrong there's i'm not like you know going through basic training doesn't make you any sort of hero right like there are real heroes in the military but not just for going through basic training that's basic for a reason you know yeah um but it, it did give me something back where it's like you know what like yeah i don't have to prove anything to anyone it's just it is what it is so we're looking at six hours of your shit right now. So we got to end this sometime. So, uh, so after you got done, we'll just say this. After you got done the military, right? The I guess it was the uh, the former manager of the the coffee shop, the most recent coffee shop that you had before when you started the Air Air Arbon business, right? She got you your current job in real estate, which you're working in now. Yeah. So for me, um, I just really saw an opportunity where my skill sets, all this diverse background, all this jumping around really serves itself because I've just become a person that knows a little bit about a lot of shit and it helps me relate to people and everyone needs to live somewhere. I mean, it's just, that's just the, like at the end of the day, everyone's got to live somewhere. And so yeah. I can help people and I can use my experience just to relate to them and say, Hey, yeah. yeah. Oh man. I totally get it. I've been in a stressful situation before, or I've moved before I've been through a divorce before, or I managed a business before. I, yeah, I get it. You know, I, you know, let me help you. Let me work around your schedule. And then within that, I love real estate because i I fucking like houses. It's cool. I mean, Zillow, the yeah. Zillow porn is real, but I get to go in those places, you know? <laughs> So, yeah. you know, I mean, I've been telling people I'm working with the, I'm working, I work with a lot of buyers, but right now, you know, I can Me on too. a given day. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, we're working with the buyers right now. Mm. Um, but on any given day, right. You know, I can be touring homes from, you know, 150,000 to, you know, 4 million. Right. It's like, Damn. and it's just like, you get to see all these different, neighborhoods i'm learning more about my city i'm like every day and i'm learning about different businesses and i'm getting to use kind of my creativity again to so for me i really enjoy it um i get to connect with people i get to help them solve a problem i get to you know see some really cool things and be a part of wow. such a big moment in their lives it, it's yeah. it's really cool and then there's also potential to really make a great business out of it and have financial yeah. freedom around it. And that for me too is really important. So, so that's what I like. Dude, about that it. seems like, 
dude, that seems like something right up your alley. And also it's kind of like when you're giving these homes away or not giving, or when you're selling these homes and like all these things, these are kind of like the bones of your city. Yeah. This is like the skeleton of your city in a way. And you're kind of learning like your, your, the body parts of your city and different things like that. And that's freaking awesome. I'm not going to lie. When you said the Zillow porn gimmick, Oh, 100% true. I mean, that's true. I've seen that SNL. Oh my God. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's a whole SNL skit about it. My wife is all over that stuff. Loves every second. Loves looking at houses that I can't afford. So Uh it's Uh great. And when it comes to Zillow, it's crazy. Sorry. It's crazy with Zillow. Um, living here in Southern California, which is like an, just an insane real estate place. I, I can't believe how many places I've looked at. My wife and I have been looking for a house for a couple of years and not being able to afford any of them, but it's crazy how many listings have awful photographs and like, uh, it, it's just the worst photographs on planet earth and you go there and then the place is awesome. And you're wondering, have you like, seen the flip side of that too? Yeah. Oh yeah, Where there's they have pictures and photographs, yeah. and you there's, go there like this house is freaking tiny, yeah. you know. Like there is a, uh, I always tell people about this. There's a, there's an Instagram ac- account called Million Dollar Shitholes, which is, um, it's just listings in LA that look awful. Like they have like porter potties in their front lawn, and they're worth over a million dollars. Which is that's an interesting thing people can uh, can look up on Instagram. Uh, Alex, really happy to hear that you've got the real estate in there and it sounds like you have a passion for it and that you're enjoying your job. That's the biggest thing, like enjoying what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like it, you did have a long freaking road to get there, man. And a long road of like learning different things and, and like having to adapt and, and struggle and survive and overcome and like, you know, progress in your whole story. So like you being able to do that and finally end up in a job that you do have some passion for, you're seeing knowledge, you're seeing growth, like you're seeing the potential and everything like that. I'm happy to hear that. And that's great for you, man. And I'm proud of you. And that's awesome. So that being said, we have come to the end of your long goddamn list of jobs and we didn't even hit all of them. So, uh, so this is where we're going to wrap. Yeah, we got a lot of them. We're going to wrap up the show here. Uh, we've spent oh five and a half hours so far with you, and it's just been peachy every second of the way. But uh, no, uh, Alex, I know we've had you on back to back weeks, and I think Shake we're on the same page as this. But we would love to have you back on if you'd love like to yeah. come back on. As we want Xander on next time. I feel like I feel like people would are probably going to be sick of me at this point. Which well, the way we're going to we're going to have a whole month of you. So <laughs> the way yeah, we're going to air, we're going to split you. We're going to in the four and it's going to be alex mania oh wow march Xander mania. so Man, hopefully but they no, like it's, it. yeah people have to pay us to stop the episodes yeah <laughs> you're you're gonna be you're definitely gonna be a, a requested guest again so it's gonna be awesome but uh alex before we go anything you'd like to say to uh the dozens and dozens of working perspectives podcast fans Amen. Avoid the clap, Jimmy Dugan. Great, great send off. Wow. Uh, and roll. Any uh, any wisdom you want to impart on our uh, on our guests before we take off? Just at at some point, we're gonna have to somehow sneak your older brother asshole onto a show and, and oh, some other people. No, for, no, he's for not one reason. On. Listen, this is this is for one good reason. 
we need to have a retrospective on the Attitude Era wrestlers that we all personified. And I wanted to bring this up with Alex here because he was world famous for his, his endearing love, his enduring love for the Heartbreak Kid, uh, Sean Michael. And, and, and that was an all-time great wrestler. I, wish, I didn't really have a wrestler that I was assigned to. I guess maybe Sabu. I, I really identified with Sabu. I love Sabu. I love Sabu too. You had so many. To, you had so many to choose from. Yeah. You know, it's tough. Like I was a big Mick Foley guy too. Loved Mick yeah. Foley. Obviously, Stone Cold. Stone Cold. Yeah, and this is what we should do. One day we should have an episode where we all just talk about the wrestlers that we wanted to uh, hey, personify. Hey, shake. I'd be happy to have that. More than happy. But all the guests have to be approved. That's just, you know, sorry, can't budge there. And it's not us, it's the P-Triple-A, all right? Well, or, or maybe if, if asshole personifies uh, Sting, he'll come in from the rafters. Whoa. Whoa. And, and <laughs> we had that. Whoa. We're going to have to call Eric Bischoff. There's an Owen Hart joke in there somewhere, and I'm not going to make it. Oh, no one should. All right. So, okay. So, Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, Shake, uh, asshole has to be approved before he comes on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but is there anything else you want to say before we go? No. I, Alex, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Great to catch up. Yeah. 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 Hey, guys, te gusta es mio. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Nah, this was great. It's a lot of fun. Alex, you know, Alex won't even talk to us unless it's on the air like this. That's yeah. fucked up in my Whatever, head. man. That is. It's like he, I don't you know, you guys, your victim me. mentality. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the last time we spoke, I called you. Both of you. All right? <laughs> so, yeah, we thought, we, we thought something was wrong with Bell. So you're yeah. <laughs> All right. So okay. Let me let me wrap this what's, fucking what's thing wrong? up. What's so, wrong? Right. That's how Matt answers the phone when I call. What's wrong? <laughs> it's usually the case. Uh. So okay. So well, let's wrap this thing up. Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Shake, uh, great mm-hmm. job tonight as always. always Matt, perfect as always. Yep. Um, so this has been another episode of the Working Perspectives Podcast with our guest Alex Lavelle. Uh, you can find us on all podcast platforms and YouTube at Working Perspectives Podcast. You can find us on Spotify at the Working Perspectives Podcast. You can follow us on the Twitter at Working P Pod. And then uh, join us on Instagram at Working Perspectives Podcast. If you would like to be a guest on the show, email us at workingperspectives at gmail.com. Uh, This is the end of the show. Stick around for the ad read. Thanks. Bye. Do you have a message or a story inside of you that you've been waiting to tell? Have you always dreamed of writing a book but are intimidated by the complexities of the book publishing world? Perhaps you want to use a book to launch your public speaking or consulting career. If so, please reach out to Scott and Bell Publishing, located right here in beautiful Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Scott and Bell Publishing handle all genres and authors with all experience levels. Scott and Bell Publishing gives authors 100% creative freedom and a higher royalty split. They can be found at www.skotbell.com. That's www.s is in Sam, K is in Kite, O is in October, P is in Tom. B is in boy, E is in Edward, L is in Larry, L is in Larry.com.
That's Scott Bell Publishing, where the authors go.